So, so we are halfway through the book of Daniel. The first six chapters of Daniel, chapter, uh, Daniel's 12 chapters long, and it divides nicely in half. The first six chapters are what we call court narratives, and they, they talk about Daniel's time in Babylon, uh, and also some about his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and we've been covering those stories, and, and that's narrative, histor- uh, narrative literature. But then, chapters 7 to 12, totally different kind of literature, it's apocalyptic, and, and it records largely these four big visions that God gives Daniel, or dreams, uh, talking about what's to come. And it's, it's important that, you, that we sort of change interpretive tactics when we deal with, with these dreams and these visions. It's, it's sort of, I, I think it, the easiest to think about is, if you read a story and then you start reading poetry, you don't read poetry the same you, as you read uh, a story. So in poetry, if it says the mountains and the hills, they clap their hands, uh, you, re- you, you don't... You, think, oh, mountains and hills have hands that they clap. You realize I'm dealing with poetic genre, and you interpret it accordingly. And apocalyptic, ooh, well, had a catastrophe. Apocalyptic genre has its own interpretive keys, and we'll be talking about that, um, expanding on that uh, during the next six weeks. Let us, let's get in now to Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. First thing I want you to note is that we have rewinded in history. We've gone back in time because chapter 5 dealt with the end of Belshazzar and his death and the end of the Babylonian Empire, who was the final king of the Babylonian Empire, Belshazzar. And so now we're not in the third year of his reign, rather we are in the first year of his reign. That's when this vision came to Daniel. Verse 2, Daniel declared. So, oh, nope. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter, Daniel declared. So Daniel has this dream. When he wakes up, he, he writes it down. And apparently we are now being given, I believe from chapter, uh, verse 2 to the end of the chapter, Uh, Daniel's account of what he saw. Daniel declared, quote, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Not a scientific text, right? Uh, Imagery intended to evoke um, big ideas. And so he is envisioning a sea, and I want you to envision this in your mind's eye. Uh, There's a giant sea in front of you, and it is, uh, you got wind blowing from all directions, and so this sea is just a, a churning uh, mass of chaos. And what does that symbolize? Verse 3, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. So, picture in your mind's eye, a beast that was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Okay, you got a picture of that? Here's one artist's rendering of what that might have looked like. 
So this is a fantastical beast, right? There's nothing like it in nature. God never created anything like this. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. So what might that have looked like? Here's another artist, right? Wings are being plucked off. The lion's up on two feet, and it's been given a mind. Some translations say the heart of a man. What does all this mean? Verse 5, and behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear. Ooh, we Alaskans know what that looks like, right? It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, arise, devour much flesh. So apparently it's, it's, on its, it's lying down somehow, and then it's told, get up, arise, and devour much flesh. And you, you do have to ask, I mean, who, who's raising up the lion and giving it the heart of a man? Who's telling this bear to rise and, and eat much, or devour much flesh? So you got a picture of that? Here's, here's a... Here's one artist's rendering of this bear. Verse 6, After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. Okay, think of a leopard. Four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Dominion was given to it. You know, hopefully you've clued in by now. It's God. It's God who is giving it dominion, God who's saying, arise, devour much flesh, God who is ripping the wings off and standing the lion up and giving it the heart of a man. Okay, let's have a, here's an artist's rendering. That's a pretty cool looking animal, a little beast. However, God never created anything like these. These are aberrations of God's creation. That's not to be missed in the, in the Daniel and, and his original audience, the Jews, would have instantly seen this as a corruption of God's intended design. Because God's very clear in the Old Testament, you do not mix kinds, like with like. And so this, these are corruptions, these are aberrations, these are actually abominations. Verse 7, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. So this beast is not likened to any animal at all. It's something totally other. It's unlike the rest of the beasts. And it seems to be the most destructive of all. Terrifying, dreadful, exceedingly strong. Not only does it kill, but it devours, breaks in pieces, stamps what's left with its feet. It leaves absolute and utter destruction in its wake. It had ten horns. Verse 8, I considered the horns. So Daniel is Zooming in on the horns. What in the world are these horns about? 
I considered the horns, and behold, there came up... Oh, we have a picture, actually. There were lots of pictures of this beast on the internet. Pretty exciting stuff. Maybe Godzilla came from this, I don't know. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. So the little horn that rises displaces three of the horns... And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Very odd. And go back to the picture. There's a horn. You can see the eyes and the mouth. And this artist gave it a nose. There's no nose here. I did not envision a mo- nose. I don't know about you. So what? That's bizarro. A little horn with a eyes and a mouth, and the mouth is, is, the mouth is mouthing off speaking great things, and we'll learn later that those great things are blasphemy against God, rage against the saints of God. Um, And so there seems to be here uh, a great and terrifying evil. These beasts seem to have um, varying degrees of uh, distinctives. All of them, however, are aberrations and dangerous and destructive. What in the world does all this mean? Well, we're not told yet. There's a scene change in verse 9. So Daniel has been envisioning a chaotic sea out of which these four beasts arise. And then scene change in verse 9. And now we are going to get a, a, a picture of the courtroom of heaven. Verse 9, As I looked, thrones were placed... And the Ancient of Days took his seat. That's God. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. White clothing usually signifies righteousness. Uh, White hair signifies wisdom usually. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. Now, this remember, apocalyptic literature, the Bible tells us God is spirit. Those who worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. So you don't read this and say, aha, God has snowy wool-like hair and wears a white uh, robe, and he sits on a throne of fire. No, this is imagery. A thousand thousand served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. So it's the courtroom of God. It's orderly. God is in charge. And he sits down to judge. The books are opened, and those books are the record of the deeds of men and women on earth. Uh, So on, you know... What we're going to find out is the picture of the chaotic sea and the beasts. That's, that's a description of what's going on on the earth and uh, humans' rulership. It's chaos. It's destructive. It's blasphemous. But at the same time, God is fully in control. He's in charge in heaven, and he will judge. Verse 11, there's another sea change. Oh, do we have a picture there? That's one artist's rendering of what Daniel might have seen. 
Now we have a sea change, or I'm sorry, a scene change, verse 11. I looked then, because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, it's almost as if as Daniel is seeing the, uh, the court of heaven, he still hears that little horn mouthing off and saying blasphemous, uh, arrogant things. And he's like, there's, he looks down because there's obviously going to be a clash <laughs> between these, these two powers. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. Obviously the fire that flows from the throne of God. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Good luck trying to figure out what exactly a season and a time signifies. Uh, I just am convinced God is not trying to give us a timetable so we can figure out exactly where we are on the continuum of the timeline of history. But it's limited, right? For a season and a time, they're, they're, and then they, their lives will be taken. Now another scene change, verse 13. We're back up to the, uh, the throne or the courtroom, heaven. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. So, one like the son of man. In other words, this, this person looked like a human, but he's riding on the clouds of heaven. By the way, in the Old Testament, only God rides on the clouds of heaven. So this is an extraordinary uh, person. One like the Son of Man can't truly be a person because he's riding on the clouds. But he's presented to the Ancient of Days, to the Father that we know. Because we know who, from the rest of the Bible, we know who this one like the Son of Man is, right? That was Jesus's, the, the way Jesus referred to himself more than anything else as the Son of Man. He knew who he was. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the only begotten of the Father, the second person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Here's the Son who is coming before the Father after he has done the Father's will and obeyed the Father to the point of death. And God had brought him back to life, and now he's come to be presented before the Father. And to him was given dominion, the right to rule, and glory, so that people would marvel and worship him, and a kingdom. Not a kingdom among many kingdom kingdoms, but the only kingdom that will remain when he returns. The one and only, the all-consuming kingdom of God. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. When Christ returns in his kingdom is established on earth and his will, God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven, there will be only one kingdom and there will be only one king and that is the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Forever and ever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed.
Verse 15, as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. All right, so the, Daniel's had his dream. He's seen the vision. And we know from Daniel, earlier chapters, that Daniel was uh, gifted by God in the interpretation of dreams. He just could figure mysteries out. And he has no idea what this means. <laughs> and nor do you. And nor do I until God gives us the interpretation. We don't know what in the world does all this mean. Daniel seems to have recognized one thing, which is this is, uh, this is scary. Uh, this is ominous, right? And so he's, distra- he's, dist- he's anxious. He's distressed. What does this mean? What is God showing me through this dream? Now, he seems to still be in the dream because he goes and asks one of the heavenly beings, uh, you know, probably an angel, what, what did I just see and what is, the, what is the meaning of all that I just saw? I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this, so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. Woo! That's wonderful. I just saw this bizarre vision. And so I ask an angel, what does it mean? And the angel tells me. And then Daniel records it for us. In two verses. He is able to summarize the significance, the spiritual meaning of, the, of, the, of all these great wild visions in two small verses. This is what it means, Daniel. And we're going we're gonna to see this in just a second. But listen, you go to good Christian bookstores and you will find volumes that give you the explanation of what the plucking of the wings off the lion meant. And what are, you know, there are three ribs in the mouth of the bear and here's what that means and who they are and Right, and they are they are dividing down to very specific all the details and giving explanation about all the details and all their significance and all their meaning and this is what a season and a time signifies and I don't buy it I don't buy it uh, I think it's speculation and I think it's it's dangerous God I am convinced. That God is not trying to give us a timetable. He is, God is communicating extremely significant truths to us through this dream. Uh, but he's not answering all the questions that we might want answered. All right, so let's look now at the interpretation, the one that God gives us. Here it is. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. Oh, the beasts are kings, and they shall arise, so they're future. They're still to come, Daniel. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. That's what this all means. Now, simple or short and unbelievably profound. I break it down in these three statements. Number one, 
The wicked will remain in power for a while, Daniel. And you and me, the wicked will remain in power for a while. Now, and I, I suspect that this was very distressing uh, news for Daniel because the 70 years of exile were coming to a close. Right? Daniel's in Babylon. The people of God have been hauled off into exile. Prophet Jeremiah said it's going to last for 70 years and then God will return you to the promised land. The 70 years are coming to an end. Daniel is probably thinking just a few more years. God's going to return us to the promised land and the people of God will get back up on top. It's going to be great. It's going to be glorious. Maybe the, maybe the uh, Messiah will come then and, and the, the grand the ultimate plans of God will consummate. And so he probably thinks he's just got a few more years to, for the people of God to live in exile. And now all of a sudden God's telling him, guess what? You've got, you know, four kings ahead of you, which, which we're, we realize now isn't just four more kings, it's kingdoms. It's who knows how long. So he's saying, Daniel, no, 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 wicked people, are going to remain in power on earth for years to come, many years to come, beyond your lifetime, Daniel. And here we are, thousands of years later, and wicked people are still in charge and have power. And the kingdoms that rule over the people of God are still beastly. Because every kingdom... Until that final king, Jesus, rules in righteousness and justice, every kingdom, every earthly kingdom, every human government is, is beastly to some extent or another. So it's a, it's a sobering truth that the wicked will remain in power for a while longer. And it's the reality Daniel lived in and the people of God have lived in now for, for a long time. But there's a, here's another point made by the angels. Someday God will strip all power from the wicked and give it to the one like the Son of Man. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom. So we saw the, the, the judge who kills the beast and he takes back the dominion from the other beasts even though he lets them live a little longer. In other words, the God... There is coming a time in which God is going to strip from all wickedness, all wicked people and their power. They will have no ability to influence, no ability to control, no ability to harm. Their power is gone. 100% gone. They won't be able to harass, to harangue, to exhaust the people of God ever again. And all their power is given to the one like the Son of Man, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we who are united with Christ by faith will reign with him. That's why we say, I don't know about you, I don't know how you can't say on a pretty regular basis as we go through this world that is wicked and beset by sin and oppresses the people. How we can't say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But until you come, Lord, help me to seize every moment of every day to bring more people into the kingdom so that more people find forgiveness and peace with you. Final uh, idea I see here is that the saints' reversal of fortune will be permanent. 
The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever. Forever and ever, the angel says. It's the, when that reversal of fortune comes, and it will. Right now, the, the people of God are, are not on top. And, and, and sometimes, in places throughout history, the people of God have been terribly oppressed. But, but there is coming a reversal of fortunes. And when it comes, and the people of God are put on top, because their Jesus is king, it's a permanent reversal. Not, not life is tough, but I'm going to get my two-week vacation, then i got to come back to the hard grind of life. That's not what we're talking. We're not talking about, hey, you're going to get a little reprieve someday. We're talking about it's a, it's a reversal of fortunes that will last for all eternity. Which is why the Apostle Paul says, when you consider eternity and, and the glory that awaits, then your suffering is in this world, even no matter how bad it is, even he, he, he was imprisoned and beaten and shipwrecked and eventually killed, light and momentary troubles of today do not compare to the glory that awaits us for all eternity. A short, simple interpretation of this big, long dream, but it's full of incredible significance. And if we lived out of it, it would make it... If we lived out of that understanding of history, it would completely change our perspective and change the way we lived. Well, Daniel... Certainly believing the interpretation is still super curious and he's just desperate to get a little bit more clarity on some of the details. <laughs> okay, could, but you, could you please just tell me about that fourth beast? Because that was wild, man. And what was the ten horns and this one little horn? It had to mean something. Come on. And so that's what I hear in Daniel in verse 19. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast. Now, remember, he's already been told what it all means. But he just wants a little bit more Right? And you're going to find yourself with additional questions that you'd like to ask the angel. Yeah, but, but what in the world were the four wings on the four-headed leopard? What was that all about? And there's so much we're not told. And I think that's because God doesn't think those details matter to our living of the Christian life. But he's happy, you know, obviously Daniel asked the question about the fourth beast because God wants us to know about that. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze. Ooh, we hadn't known that. He gives us a little more detail. Claws of bronze. Which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet and about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. That's an additional detail. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints. Ooh, we didn't know that. The horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. What? Yeah, that little horn warred against the people of God and was, was winning. Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. So apparently, this little king is warring against the saints, defeating the, the saints until the, the end, until God finally judges and uh, hands over the kingdom to the people of God. 
verse 23. So that's, by the way, this is Daniel saying, I want to know, would you mind telling me, you know, what all that meant? Thus he said, now the angel. So the angel goes ahead and gives him the interpretation. As for the fourth beast, Daniel, I put that in there. As for the fourth beast, Daniel, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the kingdoms. Ooh, now, now the angel has, simply, has, has expanded the beast from being simply a king to a kingdom, which means it's not just, the, probably doesn't exist for just the life of, a, of one king, it exists for however long that kingdom lasts. And it, so it's going to be different from all the kingdoms. How? Doesn't explain that. And it shall devour the whole earth. It's going to be a worldwide kingdom. And trample it down, break it to pieces. Of course, metaphor, right? Symbols. This isn't a giant Pac-Man who eats the world. Verse 24. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise. And another shall arise after them. So the little horn's going to be at the tail end of this kingdom. He shall be different from the former ones. How? We're not told. And shall put down three kings. So displaces them, kills them, who knows. He shall speak. So now we're talking a little horn. He shall speak words against the Most High. So let me characterize his rule for you, Daniel. Blasphemous. Anti-God. And shall wear out the saints of the Most High. Ugh. What a statement. When that time comes, the people of God are going, to grow, are going to be worn out by the rulership of the little horn and his power over them. He's going, to, he's going to be making war against the saints, prevailing over them. They're going to be exhausted. The people of God are going to cry out, God, we can't take it any longer. Please, Jesus, return. Put an end to all this. By the way, it seems, seems to be talking here about what the New Testament refers to as the Antichrist. We're told by John, many Antichrists have already come, but there seems to be, in the future, a final, terrible, wicked, terrifying, devouring ruler uh, who will just make life miserable for the people of God. By the way, this is one of the reasons that I I can't buy into uh, a view of Christian history that says the gospel will slowly gain dominance over the world and uh, things will get better and better and better until we enter into some millennial-like state. That doesn't seem to be the biblical picture. The biblical picture seems to be it will be the, the absolute worst for the people of God right before the end. But it will end because God will ultimately judge the beast, slay the beast, and give the kingdom to Jesus. So he's going to speak words against the Most High. He's going to wear out the the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. In other words, he just sees no limit to his power and his right to shape the world to be the way he wants it to be. Changing times and the law, that's the the prerogative of God himself. And this this person just, uh, this ruler takes, tries to just make life and the world in his own image. But, verse 26, the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away. God's going to judge this uh, wicked ruler. His dominion will be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. 
When his, when his power, when, when his judgment comes, it's a permanent judgment. Verse 27, and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions shall, shall serve and obey them. Or another very probable reading is, his kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, referring to Jesus, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. The fortunes of the Christian and the Lord Jesus Christ are so wedded together that the scriptures can talk about one or the other. Because when Christ rules, we his people get to rule with him and benefit from his rule. Verse 28, here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. By the way, that's one of the differences between apocalyptic literature and prophetic literature. The prophets uh, often, a couple of key differences. One, prophets receive the word from the Lord. You know, Jeremiah, go say this. And then they went out and said it. Um, and apocalyptic literature sometimes came through dreams and visions. And sometimes God says, don't, don't reveal that now. You write it down and hold it for later. But I want you to note here, here is the end of the matter. Because I think that's a giant word of caution to us. I've given you the interpretation that I want you to have. I've told you the meaning of all the details I think are significant. Don't try to mine this dream for more than I have uh, given you import for. Does that make sense? Don't try, I, what I hear it saying is, don't try to figure out what the, the four wings on the four-headed leopard mean. You'll probably get it wrong. Um, when it, it, by the way, there's been so much ink spilt on this question of they, the saints of God, will be given into the hands of the little horn for a time, times, and half a time. What does time, times, and half a time mean? It's cryptic language for a reason. God doesn't want us to try to pin it down. You know, Jesus, Jesus made it unbelievably clear when he said, no, you know, God does, have, the Father has not given to anyone to know the day or the hour when I will return. Not even, not even the Son of Man knows that at the time. And some people try to get around there like, yeah, you can't know the day or the hour, but you could figure out the month or the year. No! You know, uh, well, I was telling, mentioning this to somebody the other day, and they said, yeah, because then we'd be just like little kids. You say, I'm going to count to three. And when do the kids move? 2.99, right? One, two, there's zero action. And when you're just starting to say three, then people get to go, right? No. Christ can return any time. So I caution you from trying to answer the questions for yourself uh, that God didn't feel the need to answer. Let's give, here's some takeaways. Number one, shout my time out. I might be getting long. What time is it? 10.58. Oh, I can do it. Okay. <laughs> Number one, all human governments are beastly, so don't give any your blind loyalty. I see in these different kingdoms various levels of beastliness, Right? The fourth is obviously the most wicked, the most godless. But 
but all of them are aberrations of God's uh, intention to some degree or another. God, in the creation mandate, God said, rule the earth, humans. And the, the, what he wanted from us is to rule the earth as if he, so that, so that the world would feel as if God himself were in charge. So we were to rule according to God's values, his ways, his priorities, but sin entered the world. And human governments are sinful people getting together and then ruling out of their sinfulness to some degree or another. And some governments are worse than others. But all governments, until that final one, led by our Lord Jesus Christ in righteousness and justice, are, are beastly to some extent. Even the United States of America. The United States of America is spiritually beastly to some degree. Now, I think it's the least beastly that we've ever seen, and I'm glad to be living under its uh, rule than, than others. Uh, and as Christians, we, can, we should be politically active and seek to steer our, our government and laws and uh, towards righteousness and justice. But you never give government your blind loyalty. Daniel was a great example. He was a faithful servant of the Babylonian king and then the, and Darius the Mede. But, but he had his limits, right? Whenever the secular government was trying to tell him to do something against the will of God, he said no. And he took his lumps as necessary, whether that was lions or other things. So you just, you, you never say, uh, it's just inappropriate as a Christian to say, I just hand over blindly my loyalty to the United States of America. One way to, I think about this, I just think, hey, when Jesus Christ is in charge, uh, are we going to be able to walk down the street and buy pot at our local pot shop? Am I going to be able to open my computer and go to any number of you know, pornographic websites? Uh, are, are, are kids going to be ripped away from their parents at the border uh, by, by our government because we've got immigration issues? You, you can multiply this very quickly. Uh, no, the United States of America, as great as it is, it's still beastly. And as Christians, please hear this. The mission of the church of Jesus Christ is not to promote democracy in the world. That's not your Christian mission. It might be a good thing to be involved in, but that's not what we as a church are called to do. We're not to, you know, the church is not here to promote American exceptionalism, American democracy, on and on. We're, we are here to promote the gospel and to win people to faith in Christ, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that Christ commanded. That's why we get together. That's what we do. That's where our money goes. That's where our time goes. Okay. I'm running out of time, aren't I? I've got three more. Number two, takeaway, do not join, envy, or be awed by those whom God will someday judge. We live in a world where the wicked are on top. And, and so did the people of God you know, thousands of years ago in Psalms chapter 73. Here's the psalmist. Psalmist says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That's the reality. God is good to the people of God. But as for me, my feet almost stumbled. I almost, I almost stumbled spiritually. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Right? He's like, look, I had a, 
a spiritual crisis because I looked around and I said, who seems to be thriving in this world? Not the people of God, not the people who are trying to do what Jesus told them to do, the people who are saying, I'm going to serve self. I'll step on other people to get ahead. They seem to be winning. Don't. One of the points of this vision is to say, Daniel, there's coming a day when the power will be taken away from the wicked people. They will be judged. They will be destroyed. And it will be given to Christ and his people will inherit the kingdom. So don't, don't envy, join, or be awed by those God will someday judge. Third takeaway, God's people will suffer. Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. That's a reality for the Christian. Tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. Sometimes Christians will suffer terribly. I wouldn't want to be a Christian in North Korea. I wouldn't want to be a Christian in some, some of these Muslim countries. So build that into your vision of the Christian life. Anybody who is selling you a vision of the Christian life that says you obey God, you do what is right, and God will give you a, a healthy, happy, financially prosperous, all your kids will thrive, your marriage will win, life is lying to you. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that in the world we'll have tribulation, but God is with us, and he's overcome the world, and we will ultimately be rewarded and be on top. So that's my final takeaway. Be assured that God is in control. On earth, the, the sea is chaotic and raging, and the beasts are coming out of the sea, and they have power, and they're warring against the people of God. But, but the reality is up in heaven, God is 100% in control. He's in charge. He's sitting on his throne, and his judgment is coming. And his judgment is sure. The end is known. The end is known. Live in, live in light of the end, people of God. And someday we will be rewarded for our faith and faithfulness. Right? Jesus, when he tells the parable of the talents, and he says, you know, to those, to those who are faithful with what God has given, he says, come, enter into your master's rest, good and faithful servant. That's what awaits us if we remain faithful uh, to Jesus. Final, uh, final idea I want you to take away with. If all Daniel had been given is a vision of the chaotic sea and the beasts, it would be overwhelming. And sometimes, sometimes that's all you're seeing because you're right there. And wicked people are doing wicked things to you. They have power in your life. You're being harmed. And it might seem to you as if the wicked have power and that's, that's all that matters. That's all that is real. But Daniel and you and I through Daniel have been given a, a vision of, of reality the Ancient of Days on his throne, the one like the Son of Man coming into his presence and being given dominion and glory and a kingdom and the people of God ruling with their king forever, forever and ever. Perspective is so important in whatever situation you find yourself in. Maybe right now you are in a tough, tough situation, right? With kids, with your marriage, your job, your physical health, and you might be feeling like all I've got around me is chaotic sea and beasts. And God is through his word wanting to raise our chins up 
and put our eyes onto the reality of heaven and, and the victory and the glory that awaits us as followers of Jesus. So be encouraged. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us enough to reveal to us what's coming, to assure us that victory is ours in the future, and it's a permanent reversal of fortunes. And yes, for a time, for your appointed time, we don't know what it is, we don't know how long it will last, but for your appointed time, you are allowing the wicked to have power but it will come to an end. And then forever and ever and ever, we will inherit the kingdom because of our faith in your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.